Hi there, back again. It's been a while. Now, you all know that I tend to say some things a lot. Of course, I say some things over and over and over again. This is, of course, because I keep encountering the same certain things over and over again, and those things, of course, prompt such outbursts from me. One of these is situations in which I'm amazed how fulsomely and quickly some people out themselves. I'm getting a lot of this now, of course, because I'm having more contact with witchcraft and occult groups again. I'm always amazed at how often I see self-implied experts making statements in these things that make it really damn clear they're nothing of the sort. Now, I've stressed before how much of an interesting thing it is to often look back at some of these people's earlier posts. How often I've then said, you know, if you look carefully, you'll see someone brightly announcing how they're into witchcraft and Vikings and all that sort of cool stuff. And then you contrast that with them two or three years later telling someone how earnestly that they're from an ancient family that's been practicing this hitherto undiscovered witchcraft or magic for generations and stuff and so forth. While that's always laughable, that's nothing compared to the sort of stuff that tends to get blurted out when the discussion gets up and going. Now, I don't want anyone to think I'm saying that there aren't some genuine groups out there with refreshing reach and contact and information too. It's my pleasure to say that there are a couple, and some of them are even run by people that I've known for some years, and it is, of course, that sort of experience that has led me to cautiously connect with others again. Most, however, most groups, however, are quite the contrary. Um, at best, they have some interesting things to teach. It's just not what I assume they set out to teach. The first thing is, of course, that with some very small number of exceptions, pretty much all of the groups are comprised of the same damn people, some of which use these same groups as not much more than vehicles to show off what they allege is their workspace, pictures of their altar, pictures of their stangs, etc., etc., and, of course, their vast knowledge. The sheer number of repeat posts that I get in my feed each day is amusing on some days and irritating on others, depending on what kind of day it is. I'm sure you're probably much the same in that. The second thing that I note is that I'm currently really feeling the dismay that my Magister and his elders felt, as I note that consistently most of what goes on shows that there are very few people with any traditional witchcraft background at all participating. In fact, it's not much of a stretch to say that many contributing have clearly got virtually nothing in the way of even the most basic experience to draw on whatsoever. Often I see things that tell me that the person advising clearly has all but no practical experience in any part of the subject they're expounding on. One that's really stood out lately is, of course, the subject of salt in ritual, which, to be honest, was not something that I'd actually really thought very much about. This one has rattled its way through virtually all of the witch groups I read from, though, in recent times, and it's a point of quite dread that so much of what's been said has very little basis in any kind of knowledge whatsoever. The first that amazed me was some people's insistence that one should never use salt or salted water because it kills all the plant life and it kills the soil. Now, I'm not going to bore you with my views on some of the alternatives that get touted as being just as good in its stead. Ignorance of natural magical properties and processes is yet another subject that I could go on about for hours. And I do. Just ask the wife and kids on that. The fact is, though, that such people have clearly never utilised salt in this manner, most of them speaking anyway. The sheer amount of salt required to destroy an environment is simply prohibited. You couldn't even carry that amount with you. And even if you could, why? Why would you be carrying that much salt around with you? I mean, you wouldn't be able to carry anything else. Anyway, I'm not about to go in 
to you know, associated subjects is desalination on a wider scale. If these people have so little experience of salt at all, which you know, we all have it on the table, well then I know that they don't know how much salt is even required to kill grass. Again, there's clearly no point in dealing with a wider environmental issue with these people. It of course goes double for people who don't know that all salt is not just salt. The old ad, you know, oils ain't oils, salts ain't salts. Salt is not just salt. Stuff on the table, all sorts of other kinds of salt as well that can be used, and some of them are vastly more useful in ritual, but again, another subject, another day. Slightly more interesting than all of this, of course, is when people start discussing the why of its use. But I find that, again, most of what put forward is bedeviled at best by the fact that obviously so few do the study, and as such, they don't really know why they're doing or not, what it is they're doing or why that might or might not be needed at all. Let's be real simple and straightforward. Salt is a preservative, it's an astringent, it's an antiseptic. Now if we strip away all the needless superstition that goes on about it, this is what it's used for, and therefore why it should be used if it's required. Now it's used to make holy water, this is the one thing that most people understand, because it chases out impurity. Now for years now I've been advising people to avoid the word holy and make use of purity instead. Because when you say something's holy, it's very loaded, and it can mean just about anything. Whereas at least when you say this thing is pure, right, you're always tempted to then ask in response, it's pure something, I'm sure, but pure what? Maybe it's just the cynic in me that does that, but I have been suggesting it for years, so eh, listen or don't listen. In this case, anyway, you add it, it renders the water spiritually sterile so that it can then be fit for the incoming spirit that is drawn in during the blessing. You put the salt in the water, purify it, and then you bless it. It's not actually a very difficult thing if you boil it down like that, if you'll excuse that pun for a moment. Unintentional humor. Not much of a humor either. In the ancient world, of course, the same was generally the same case, but it had a more practical belt. Uh, it also helped nullify actual physical impurities to put salt into water. Um, it killed a lot of the greebles that were in there. And after that's being treated, you could be pretty much sure that the water was less likely to cause illness if you got it on you or in you, you know, yeah. You're never really sure. Water can sit for a long time and it can be really problematic if you're not careful with it. It's also worth noting too that this same should also be given consideration in the context that salt, salt was expensive. It was a luxury. It was like water that wouldn't give you gastro. That's a luxury too in the ancient world. This last point is something that you would learn if you had much to do with life and culture that isn't so relentlessly white and middle class in the alleged first world. The less polite version that I'm more inclined to say to people more often is to just look at this and say, you know what, hell, if you even went camping more often, you'd know this shit. It's not difficult. Anyway, so then, armed with this understanding, why would we use salt in ritual? Well, now, in a pagan sense, we may freely understand it in the same context as our newly minted and often reviled church cousins. The addition of salt chases away the physical and spiritual impurities in whatever it's being added to. Often this is doubly the case as water is purified by having blessed salt added then to it. This resultant solution is then blessed again and becomes 
holy as a purificatory abspergent. The idea, of course, is that the blessed salt and the blessing after its addition makes the water doubly blessed, and that this will, of course, lend purification to all things that come in contact with it. In short, you sprinkle it about, it makes everything else pure and blessed as well. Neat, huh? Those familiar with the basic processes in the Key of Solomon, for example, will find all the examples you could ever require in the exhortations and lustring words. Um, let's paraphrase here. Be clean, regenerate, and pure, that you may lend to these works the power of blah, 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 blah. Obviously, you know, getting on with this sort of stuff, as an old compatriot of mine used to say, very much tongue-in-cheek, yes. Anointing here, asperging there, and a full-onning absolutely everywhere. You see, this is not very different when we use it. It's the same sort of idea. It makes itself holy, then you sprinkle it about, it makes everything else holy. Not hard. Again, let's keep it simple. This same can obviously be said for those who are very familiar with basic Gardnerian ritual, which, of course, naturally is based on Keir Solomon stuff. So, you know, we wouldn't be surprised by that. Now, an interesting aside at this point is that I've seen it suggested that perhaps Gerald incorporated this into his embryonic wicker in order to ward off the spirits of the earth. Now, that's something of an interesting notion. After all, it would sterilize the area, it would block the way of many entities, including some of his forebears, for that matter. And, of course, it would stop the snooping of his competition, because, you know, he did have some. But I must say that I think it vastly more likely that it was simply a matter of expedience. Gerald knew that salt drove things out, and it kept things at bay. And so he advised it as a basic safety precaution, much as he understood that blood magic, for example, is highly effective, and so he all but forbade it. I'm also mindful that he originally set it up so that wicker could be practiced indoors, which of course is kind of ironic given its emphasis on nature, but we'll let that slide because that's another lecture again in itself. He also would have known, point blank, that this would have resonated well between the ritual cleansing of ancient temples and the modern church experience his audience would already know. I think, to be honest, as much as I might like to, you know, as I might like to rag on Gerald a bit, I think it's vastly more likely that he included it because it was a very useful component of the system that he was, you know, deriving a lot of stuff from, and he knew that it would serve several useful purposes. You know, again, expedience. Gerald was many things. An idiot he was not. Anyway, all this told, okay, let's, pulling all that together, should we be using it? Well, now, this is where we're going to start talking about traditional witchcraft a little. I'll state openly that the older witch cults were aware of its uses, of salt's uses, of course they were. Um, how They were aware of how it could be used and why they think it should be used. Although, I must say, they cared less of the why than most people these days would ever dare to imagine. Um, for this simple observation, they most certainly did use salt on occasion um, to purify things, to purify place. Were they inclined to purify whole areas with it? Well, if the situation really warranted it, it might have been done, but largely no, because why bother? Why not use the powers inherent in wherever you're working and whatever you're using? To be sure, if you wanted a specific entity in an area, perhaps, you could sterilize that area. Such a thing could be done in this way, amongst others. As far as ritual tools are concerned, also, worth bearing in mind that most of the old witches who had ritual items blessed them prior to use, and then considered them of use, just be all and end all. It's been given a been given a blessing. That's all you need. Now go off and use it. 
In many cases, too, they were far more animus to use the modern speak than the average uh, average hoi polloi, and so such things were blessed in the name of the patron spirits that were either part of their lineage or simply the powers of their place. They worked with whatever spirits of place were evident, and so getting others not native into the area without special reason, well, it smacks of simply extra work for no real reason, and, and who wants to do that? I'm going to point out here as an aside too, that an associated subject to consider is the rise of the prevalence of the use of ritual knives and their compositions. While ceremonialists have made liberal and often successful use of knives and swords of all kinds, the old witches would only ever have done so tentatively, being aware of the effect that um, such knives and the iron in them might have on spirits, on the place, and on the work in general. Now, it's a simple thing also to note that such luxuries were, again, specialist tools that most old witches had little or no access to. This goes for most things sworn by most people these days. The average New Ager these days, at the most fluffy, has more access to vastly more tools, theory, practice, and expertise to draw on than most witches of even the last century. The idea that the old witches had closets full of ritual tools, endless bottles of potions and salves, or pockets full of obscure stones, talismans, and pentacles, oh, look, it's lovely, but it is pure fantasy. All of this is especially the case when we can consider the circle, too. Now, the circle is a relatively new idea, really, in witchcraft circles. If you, again, see, that's, that's a bit confusing. But you know what I mean, I'm sure. The idea is just one amongst many. Not everyone used circles ever. And some used squares. Some didn't bother with that at all. In fact, I've been taught as part of the course of understanding some of the things that I've been doing um, is that the only real circle that matters is your skin. But again, look, I'm getting off the track now. I'm trying hard to stay on track. The idea of the circle is just one amongst many. Ancient witches the circle, a generalism, it's a fantasy in many ways. And like the staying that so many people put so much stock in these days, it's considered a specialist thing. And even then, it was only used in some places. A lot of people didn't. Why would you bother with a circle unless there's a special reason? Why would you bother with anything if there was no special reason? Now, if someone works with the spirits of place, neither argument of keeping things out or the very slippery keeping the power in actually make much sense and they're the ones that are usually used you don't want to keep the powers out because you want access to them you're using those powers you're in contact with these powers this is what you're basing your work on so you don't want that kept out you also generally don't want to keep the power in because you want the power to spread out to the subject being aimed at you you don't just want to have power there just kind of because again that's work for no reason now, some have concluded, therefore, that the circle must have been about partitioning off of reality to make a smaller, more controllable world in which to work. There's a ceremonial idea, and there's a certain there's a certain rationale to it. Now, that said, it's not only a careful example of fence-setting. <laughs> it shows that influence of ceremonialism quite boldly. The old witches knew where small pockets of reality that they needed were anyway. They knew nothing of catchphrases like liminal, paradigm, hedge crossing, you know it, all the sort of ones that are very popular these days. They knew nothing of that. But they did know where the best crossroads were, 
or that right spot under the bridge could do, how to make best use of a cave or a glade or that place or this place or standing one foot in and one foot out of a river, standing on a rock in the middle of a river, all of these things, right? Now that understanding, that knowledge, is what all this later clever wording is based on. They make great catch cries for books and they sell them by the shit ton. But the old witches weren't doing that. They were just getting the work done. The old witches didn't have to make specially powered places for them to work in because they knew where these things existed naturally. And they also knew that these places were all the more powerful for it. What existed with the power of place was vastly bigger than what they could do. So why not use that? Again, less work, more play. Now, I've mentioned the word of ceremonialism here, and I should also add something to that for the record. The old pagans, if you could see me, my fingers are going off. The old pagans, the old witches, and the ceremonialists. I'm using the fingers inverted common there because I'm generalizing and I want to make a point across cultures. Now, every old culture had the equivalence of these things, but they weren't called those same names. And it's pointless to say, oh, but they meant the same thing. They kind of didn't, actually. Um, they were viewed, all of these things were viewed quite differently from place to place in different cultures. So bear that in mind. But the old pagans, the witches, and the ceremonialists, generalized, all influenced each other, though often they'd be as loath to admit it as many of the modernists are these days. Hereafter, it should be taken for granted when I'm using these terms, I'm using them quite generally, unless, of course, I specify otherwise. In reality, of course, the overlap of these and others besides forbids accurately generalizing without the benefit of removal from context, but Bear with me, I'm trying my hardest to not stumble here and, and confuse. All of these different peoples, these different points of views, these ideologies, they all shared a love of magic. They all shared a fear of magic. They all shared one thing above else, and that is the desire to make their lives better. So not one of them would ignore any kind of new magic process if they thought they could safely study and access it. The pagans had spiritual understanding of gods of place. The witches trafficked with those things in their own ways. That's why they were witches and not pagans. The witches made liberal use of those agencies and processed it in ways that original pagans didn't often approve of. The ceremonialists are interested in the same ways of both, while considering them all rather primitive and without sophistication. The pagans and witches, in turn, considered the attempts of ceremonialists to introduce all but a, a proto-scientific method in order to refine and give greater assurance of success, well, they viewed that as a pointless effort at best and pandering to the church at worst. You know, it's, it's, again, it's extra effort. The thing works. Why reinvent the wheel? It is, in fact, though, quite amazing that these biases still underscore even some of the more modern progress and systems to this day. You see the same things over and over and over again. The names and the thrust of these points have been altered somewhat, but the basic urges still remain. You still see ceremonious looking down their nose at, at stupid, ser uh, superstitious witches. And you see some of the old witches just looking at the stuff that comes out now and going, oh, look, that's pretty and stuff, but wow, that really sounds like a lot of work and I'm not in it. So again, we now have to return to the very crux of the old witches' choices. And we have to ask again, we've now talked about what salt's useful for, how it has been used. Should we be using salt now? 
Well, now this is where it really comes down to a very important point, and it's if nothing else, if you forget everything else, I want you to remember this last bit. If your processes require or is in any way benefited by from the use of substances like salt that sterilize and banish everything else so that you can load it specifically, by all means, go right on ahead. But always know why you're doing it. Know why you're doing it and do it for a specific reason. Be mindful of the history that's involved as well as the effects that you're going to get from being this specific. Now, if you can do that as a result of a pragmatic choice on your behalf, then forget all the questions. You're already more than halfway to thinking just like the old witches did, irrelevant of what you're talking about. And that, in turn, is a big way towards practicing like or even as one. I'm sure there are some people that would argue with that point forever, probably rather than get anything done. But hey, I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. I ain't that kind of witch. <laughs>